I think that uh, I want to pray first. So Father, we come and we recognize that um, we are needy people. And that if it weren't for you um, speaking, we wouldn't even exist. It was by the word of your mouth that you created the heavens and the earth. And by the word of your mouth that you sustain all things even now. And so we look to you as the creator, as the author, um, and perfecter of life. And even that through your son. And we just cry out, would you um, teach us today? Um, from your word, would you um, equip us? Would you inspire us um, and enable us to just love you and to see your love for us? Um, in Jesus' name. Um, so Brian asked if I maybe would share a little bit about where we came from and what we were doing previously, and that was in Uganda um, in Africa, if you're not aware. Uganda just kind of, equator runs through it. It's in the middle. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, if you want to click over one. Um, so it, that is a view of the house we lived in for most of our time, looking off from the porch across the road to the house that we have first moved into. It was a duplex. We lived there, and it rains a lot yeah. during rainy season. And that was my wife and one of the kids, probably Scarlett, and a friend caught in the rain. It was fun. <laughs> you can click over again. Um, that was our house. It was a beautiful home. The con I mean, Uganda really is, they call it the Pearl of Africa because it's just a, it's a small country kind of in the middle, and it's just gorgeous. Um, and so our, our home was, it was three bedrooms. It was one bathroom. It was probably a thousand square feet, but it was really sweet. It was a great place to live. Sure. Yes. So Uganda is um, almost exact same landmass size as California, but or no, sorry, it's half the size of California in landmass, but same population, um, and only probably three to four million of those, almost forty million, live inside the capital area. And so that means that in that half of landmass, all the rest of those millions of people are interspersed. So the majority of Uganda is made up of subsistence farmers. Everybody has like an acre, half an acre, three acres, and they live off their land. They grow their crops, and that's, that's, that's the majority of it. It is a developing country, and so um, it's, I don't, I don't know if you would call it third world, absolutely, but it, it's, it's growing in I first went in 2005 and spent uh, a couple weeks and then again in 2006 a couple weeks and four of those two-week trips and then we moved there in 2013 for five months and then we officially moved there in 2015 and lived there for four years. So this is a view of the capital and you can see there's big buildings like there's power lines and yet there's like that's how this man living near the capital is transporting his lumber for his work of construction. Um, this is a typical like view of roads. When it rains, it's messy because there's infrastructure for drainage and for everything, um, and so it's pretty. It's 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 uh, it's definitely a developing world uh, culture. This is um, a carpenter, so this is his work workshop and wood storage area, and this is his outdoor wood area. So you kind of get a feel for. And this guy lives in the village. We were two hours away from the village, um, and. and Sorry, two hours away from the capital in the village, probably 10 minutes from, 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 from this carpenter. Um, and we went and I just wanted to see, like, what is his life like? What is he, what is he, what, how does his labor work? All that, those stacked up on that table behind are, uh, they're going to be sofas. So he frames them and then he'll 
have them stuffed and wrapped in fabric. And it, it's fascinating to see how things are, are, are done. Um, this is, if you know anything about uh, electricity or welding, this is fascinating because you've got the generator here or the, the welding machine pumping the electricity through this iron rod to the right to the welder and then back this way so if you're oh, <laughs> from a like engineering or safety or uh like it is it's crazy <laughs> and it works right that's that's the amazing thing like you'll see a truck an 18 wheeler that they're literally welding the axle back together because on the middle of the road it broke down and they'll just drive it away and it'll drive for who knows how many more miles like Controlled chaos is kind of the way that it works. Driving, it's, they say it's one of the toughest countries in the world to drive in because it's just chaos. But it's funny how the chaos works. And, and, and yeah. this is a typical like, food market where you buy vegetables. Um, and so a lot of questions people ask is, what do you eat right, while you're there? Um, so that's kind of a good picture of what you eat. There's mangoes. Carrots, tomatoes, green peppers, and onions. That's like staple, staple vegetables that they use for cooking. Um, avocados. Um, avocados grow wild. There's not like a variety of Haas. It's this tree has big ones with little pits. This one has small ones with big pits. These ones are, these ones are real juicy. These ones are real not juicy. It's fun. Cabbage. In the back is uh, these those green bananas on the left, to the left of my friend Lyle. Um, he, those, that's called matoke. And that's a very much a staple. It's kind of like a plantain. They, uh, they, they pick them while they're green and they peel them and then have a picture of... So this is like a traditional meal. I don't know why, I don't know why my face is like that. Right? But that plate of food is like the very traditional Ugandan meal. And it has matoke, which is those bananas. And then it has like a peanut. They call them g-nuts because they're ground nuts. They're grown on the ground. Um, sauce that they make and they put on top of the matoke. And then the round, right, those are I like potatoes. They call them Irish for um, potatoes. There's a meat back there that's kind of like a soup. They love their meat to be chewy. So it, it, they don't want the filet. They want, they want to like spend some time having to work, <laughs> having to work at their, at the, at, yep. Um, rice and then the greens are called dodo or um, there's other names for Collard, there's like collard greens. Fruit, they got watermelon, pineapple, mango, um, papaya. And you, once you eat it there, you'll never want to eat it here again because it just tastes bland and it's so sweet and so good there. Yeah. And then, so to the left of the girls, that pot, they're for a feast, like a wedding, they're cooking that matoke. So it's stuffed full of that mashed green banana. And um, yeah, I just took a picture to get like a perspective of the size of the pot. And it's just on an open, there's rocks, right? You see under it, and there's a flame, like a fire. They just put logs under it, and that's how they co they're cooking. Someone's got to get in there and stir that. I don't even know how that's possible. So we taught at a 20-week intensive discipleship course, five months long. And this is a graduation picture from one of our courses that, that we taught at. Um, and we walked people, basically, we, we had some through the Bible teaching. Um, so I would say 50-50 expositional teaching. And then the other half would have been like topical and work, working with like 
walking through worldview, when you've got all kinds of different tribes, 50 different tribes and languages in Uganda, and you get them all in the same room, and you're able to expose the, the ways that, well, we just see the world differently, and it really comes down to seeing the world differently because of sin and depravity. So it flows into a need for the gospel, and we walk through the gospel, and then who is God, um, who is man, and then what has he created us for, right? Manhood, womanhood, um, fatherhood, parenting, um, just a sweet time of mentorship and, 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 and discipleship with these guys. Um, this is a group of pastors out in a village that we would go do pastoral training for. Um, they'd come from, you know, anywhere up to an hour, two hours away. We'd gather maybe three times a year and put on like a conference out in this more remote region. Um, very heavily influenced by the British. You can see by the suits, yeah. right? Very proper closed-toed shoes, trousers, right? Full jackets, ties. It's, it's, uh, it wasn't coming from Southern California. I, str I struggled. That was, <laughs> that, was one of the, that was one of my crosses to bear. I'm like, it's hot. We're in Africa. Why are we wearing suits? Um, so here is the like, last remaining remote region of Uganda. Um, we have, it's called the Karamajong region. It's up in the north, um, northeast. It's kind of like the Maasai tribe. That's the one from Kenya that you would be most familiar with and seeing, you know, wearing a bed sheet, so just a blanket. They wear that, that's it, and nothing else underneath. Um, and so we uh, had some friends that worked up in this region, and we were eight hours away from them. We'd have to drive to, to, to visit, and we did visit a couple times. And our friends were trying to recruit us to come work with this tribe because there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and in the process of recruiting us to come work for this tribe, they messed up and they sent us a podcast by a man that was essentially proclaiming the need, the reality of what the, the world has in terms of the unreached peoples in, in the world. And there's different terms that we use. But one is called the unengaged unreached people, um, meaning that there's nobody there, like we saw in Romans, preaching the message. And so there isn't a chance for them to hear unless somebody goes. And uh, the Lord used that and just struck us. And even as remote and as uh, the, the, the Karamajong tribe is, they've had the gospel for a long time. And there's many, many workers, many churches. Um, and there's a lot, a lot being done there. And so, um, I mean, we really wanted to make it work. And the Lord just kind of just kept pressing us and pressing us and pressing us to, to turn towards um, a place that has not yet heard the, the good news or has not access to it. So have there been many from that trial that's come with Christ? Many, yeah. 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 Um, less than, they, in 1960, somewhere around there, they had a ceremony, this tribe did, as the rest of the nation was turning towards modernization, they had a ceremony where they buried a book and a pen and said, we're going to reject um, modernizing. And so, um, in a sense, there's, 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 a, there's a, a barrier there, you know, because you're taking a book, right, with a message. And so, in a sense, they almost reject it on that basis alone. And yet, at the same time, there's, there's many, many workers there. And even indigenous, um, the cat, like people from the city of, of Kampala, which is the capital in Uganda, they're sending missionaries themselves to the Karamajong. So from a church perspective, that's a win, right? The, the, the indigenous 
peoples are sending their own missionaries to the to, to the ones that are nearby. Um, so that's a very quick uh, move through where we were, and like I said, the the Lord's pressed on our hearts to to pursue taking the gospel to a place that doesn't have access. They um, say there's still 3,100 language groups of people in the world that, that have not had the ability to hear the gospel. Um, and those 3,100 um, comprise somewhere between 2 and 3 billion people. It's fascinating, right? It's ama- when, I was, when, I, when I started like, looking into it, I was struck like, overwhelmingly. Like, that's amazing that that many people in the world, I mean, we take it, I think, very much for granted and, and almost assume that, I know I did, assume that that's not possible, that like, you know, because of technology, because of globalization, because of, you know, just history that we've been going on for a couple thousand years post-Christ, that it can't be that many, but it is. And so the language groups, they say, are anywhere from like a hundred people in a tribe that have a distinct sociolinguistic culture and language, right? That linguistic, their, their language is, is unique um, and it might be a hundred people in Papua New Guinea, or you know, an island in Indonesia, or it could be a city of a million in India that they, they, they remain closed off to the gospel message, especially by language, that there isn't a worker present in that, in that, in that culture that, that has the ability to communicate on that heart level. And that was something that we saw and learned in Uganda. It was a British um, influenced country. It wasn't a full colony, but um, everybody spoke English, and anyone that had been in school, and uh, they, they, they start teaching English, I think, at second grade, and then by fourth grade, they're teaching the class in English, so the, the, the teacher is speaking English. And um, by, so the more that someone's been to school, fifth grade, tenth grade, you know, out in, in, in university, the more clearly you're able to communicate with them. But even people that are, have been through university, if their heart language, their original mother tongue, wasn't English, you really struggled to communicate. And especially theological, philosophical, like, like the deep things of the Lord. And so we were very much compelled that like, language is a heavy um, necessity of, of, of bringing clarity um, in, in, in presentation of the gospel. Um, so... That podcast that our friends sent us that were trying to get us to go work with, with the Karamajong, it was put on by a, 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 a group of people that had done church planting often unengaged places. And we've seen the needle in missions of reaching the unreached stall. Um, and for a lot of different reasons. And I think um, and we'll, we'll get there maybe in, in a little bit. Um, what we had in this morning, I think, is a very uh, real part of why we've stalled the needle of reaching the world with, with the good news of Christ. Um, Americans, we've just become soft, right? And so the ability to endure the hardships that it takes in order to, to get to these places, to reach these people, we don't have the grit for it. And that's, and that's just part of the reality. So they started a training program um, that, that it kind of is almost like a boot camp to, to get people um, prepared and equipped. Because it doesn't mean that we're not trying in a sense. A lot of people are going, but the majority of missionaries are overseas for two years and then they're back. Two years and then they're back. And so the needle has been stuck on getting to these, these remaining peoples that haven't heard the gospel. Um, and so we're 
going to attend, Lord willing, based on coronavirus, obviously, that we're not sure where the world's going to go the next day, right? Um, we're all aware of that. But there's this training program takes place in Mexico. Um, they put it there specifically so you'd be outside of your cultural norm and be, you know, forced to be exposed to different, different culture and learn the language even. They teach you very much the skills required to learn languages. Um, and so hopefully in August, we'll be moving there for 10 months. It's just a 10-month program. And then um, we're not sure where we're going to go after that. We're uh, waiting on the Lord to, through the training, um, provide us with a team of people that we'll go with. And then as, as we form our team, then we're going to pray about uh, who we're going to go to. Just a quick blurb, like they say, and I would agree that um, it's not so much about where you're going or the people you're going to, um, but it's more about who you're going with. Because one of the major issues, again, that's like kind of stalled that needle is the mission is so convoluted that we don't have like a clarity in what are we trying to do? What are we aiming to do in, in the mission? And so there's a lot of internal friction that takes place on teams that prevents things from, 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 from moving forward. And a lot of it ends up breaking down at some point. Um, and so this training is trying to like equip people in that area as well. Um, so we're very excited, um, overwhelmed, scared, and uh, yeah, it, like it's impossible, right? And if it weren't for um, the testimony of the saints, like we've been working as a family to memorize Hebrews 12, um, but just the other day I was taking the girls back through the reality that Hebrews 12, right there for since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12 flows out of Hebrews 11, which is a great cloud of witnesses, right? And that cloud of witnesses has continued beyond um, Hebrews 11 significantly. Like, you know, I'm sure you guys know who Jim Elliot was, right? Like, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Like, that is a, we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us and saying, go, do it. It's, it, the mission is still, is still there. Um, so that's us. And that's the quick overview of where we're going. Um, and then I, I, want, I did want to take time to just work through the word um, and hopefully encourage us through, through the word as to why we can do this. Because um, we're not, we're not, we are scared, right? We are not able in our, in our own strength. And yet we, 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 we've been given marching orders. We've been given great encouragement and even assurance, I think, through, through God's word. And so I'd love to share that with, with you guys today. Yeah? Um, so first, let's open, uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. We call on this the mission of the church. And I think Ephesians 3, uh, these verses give us an amazing picture of what it is that the church is for. All right? So we'll start in verse 7. We read, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. This is Paul speaking. This gospel which was given to me by the working of his power. You think of Paul's conversion experience, right? He knew what the gospel was. He saw Jesus face to face. He was confronted on that road. He fell to his face. Um, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that 
through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. We see here that the church is the way through all of God's plan from the beginning to the end the way that he has chosen to declare not only to the world, right? But to, verse 10, made known to the rulers and authorities even in the heavenly places, right? And so this notion of the church is, uh, it's a big deal, right? And so the, the mission of the church is to declare to the heavenlies the glory of God. And I think in a real simplistic and reduced way, like the way we do that is by our love. The very thing that you guys are praying for this morning is the way that the glory of God is, is made, made known to the heavenlies and, and, and to this world. Because right now the world is tearing itself apart. We are tearing the world apart through our sin. Correct? And the only thing that stands in the face of that is the love of Christ. It is the only thing that says there is therefore now no Jew right? Or, or Greek, male, female, goes, right? Slave or free. It is the thing that levels the playing field ultimately, completely. And so the work even that we have here, what you guys have here beautifully, is to declare to the heavenly realms like that, that, that God is good, that he is sovereign, that he is powerful, that his love is real, that Jesus really was, right? That he really was God, that he really was in the flesh, that he really died, that he really rose again. And this is our work, right? And we do it in local gatherings. I heard a guy recently, he calls them kingdom outposts, right? This is what we are right here. And I think that one of the things like I'm encouraged about what you all are aiming to do here is to do that in a very unique way and to provide opportunities for you to love one another because you're rubbing with each other in a way that some churches don't, right? Your nearness is necessarily going to cause friction, right? And God designed that, right? He gave that to us to disciple us, right? For the very purpose of exposing our need, right, for him, and to declare when we walk in that need, right, and we look to Christ, and in Christ alone we find life and we find the ability to love each other, right, then, then we declare to the heavenlies, like, God is glorious. Amen? So that's, a, that's the goal of the church, which we also know as what? The bride of Christ, right? And if we turn to um, Revelation chapter 5, Let's get a picture of this bride. Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. We're going to go all the way to um, 14. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. 
And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From, from where? Every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped our god has a plan and he's had a plan from the beginning and he is working that plan out and he has been faithful right i love um, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He is carrying out his vengeance with a terrible sword. His truth is marching on. Can we stop it? No. Rocks would cry out. Right? Right. But the beautiful thing is we don't, we don't want to stop it. By the Spirit, by the new life that, that he has given us, we rejoice that we get to be partakers of it. And so at the same time that we're terrified of the fact that we have no idea what's in store for us, and that's real, right? Like the death of children, the death of spouse, the sickness of, maybe death would be easier than years and years and years of sickness. Um, kidnapping, ransoming, there, there's really no telling what there is in store. And yet, that's not compelling enough to overcome the reality of the privilege that we have to take the good news of Jesus Christ to a people that has never heard it. It's good news. And as we see God's plan, we see good news. And we're just overwhelmed that we get to partake. And it's glorious. Amen. Amen. And so we see a picture of every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation, right? God has a bride, and the mission of the church is to manifest his glory through loving one another and to go and make more churches, more kingdom outposts, more places where there are, this is taking place. What you are doing together here is taking place all over the world, right? So let's turn... To Matthew chapter 28. We all know this one. So God has a plan. He has a bride. He's collecting his bride. I don't think I have Matthew on there, do I? I probably skipped. Nope. Okay. I didn't put it up there because we know it. All authority, chapter, or chapter 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have that promise at the end, right? We're not alone. And we've been given marching orders. And I think that, oh, we don't have time to go into it, but he has in these marching orders, the, the observe all that I've commanded you, especially in the book of Matthew, the outline of the church is really, really clear and really, really there, right? And so we don't go just to make like one-off converts, you know, somebody that professes Jesus and then leave them alone, right? We know that that would be completely unloving to do that, right? We gather. God is a gatherer. He's always gathering his people together because it's in that gathering of people together that we just saw in Ephesians that he's glorified and that his people are the most satisfied, right? We need relationship. And I know that, again, the coronavirus like exposes that to the nth degree. We need to be with people, right? We're created for it. We feel it to the depths of our soul. Even the most introverted person I've heard over and over again throughout the COVID reality is that they're just, they're, they're, they realize even they are lonely and they don't want to be alone. And so we gather people together. And this verse, and I'm going to come in and I want to speak a little bit to, to like what we were talking about earlier, because we just listened to a conference that was put on. And one of the, one of the gentlemen that was speaking, sweet old man, um, his name's Ian Hamilton. Um, and he, he, it, it, it's interesting he had seven things that he said were hindrances to the, the, the mission, the Great Commission, right? Taking the message to peoples that haven't heard. Seven things that he saw that were diverting. He's British so, or Scottish, so he says, dissipates and diverts, right? The mission. Um, number one, so this is all from Ian Hamilton. But number one, thinking we understand the Great Commission when we don't, right? The command is a command to go. It's a commission to go. Like, it's that privilege to go, even, right? Um, and he said the same thing I just said about, it's not to make one-off disciples. It's for churches, right? Gatherings of God's people. And then he also says that lately, in the last, I don't know how many years it's been there, but that notion of going has been robbed and has been brought to, it's as you, as you are going, right? So the participle, I don't, I'm not a, a, a Greek, um, I don't know my Greek, right? But the participle has been misunderstood. It's not as you are going, make disciples, right? That's a truth command to us all as we live our lives. But this specific command was go, therefore, to all the nations, right? And that nations is panta te ethne, which is all ethnic groups, in distinct language groups, which I think we see in Revelation, right? Like we go to all these people. And if you look at the life of the disciples, what did they do? Right? That's, I think they don't need much more than that. Like Thomas ending up in India. You know how far India is from Jerusalem? It's a long, long ways. Right? And he didn't have an airplane. <laughs> he traveled by whatever means. I don't know how he got there. But that's a long, long way. So whatever Jesus said here, he took serious. Right? And they all took serious to the degree that they all lost their lives for it. And that's a sobering concept and reality that we want to face. But I think in facing it, we don't, we don't have fear. For God has not given us a, a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so we go. And the command is go. And there's no excuse to not, to not go. The other, number two, he said we preach a truncated gospel. 
right? We don't teach the whole Christ. He's not just a savior, but a savior and sanctifier. And he is Lord. That's what Ian Hamilton says, right? Sacrificial service is not for the spiritual elite. My wife and I and our children, right? We're not spiritually elite because we're willing to go to put our lives in, 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 you know, potentially in danger. We are all called to pick up our cross daily. And what is a cross? It's an instrument of torture, right? That's crazy. We don't preach that gospel so much. The, the call is for a victorious life, a winning life, your best life now, your, right? That's what the general gospel message is proclaimed as, right? But that's not the whole gospel. Yes, that's there, but Jesus says that comes through death every day. As you die as a husband to love your wife, as you die as a wife to submit to your husband, as you die as a child to submit to your parents, as you die as a body to lay down your rights to lift and build each other up, right? That is, the, the, we're all called to that. There's no spiritual elite. Number three, he said, the potential soul-chilling influence of material possessions. That one really sobered me. I'll say it again. This is a quote directly from him. The potential soul-chilling influence of material possessions. It's not easy to be blessed with material and not grip it tightly, he said. And I think that if we all reflect, we know that, right? So let that sit where it sits. Um, money is a great servant, but not a great master, he said. Right? And how true that is. Right? Um, number four, the loss of the supernatural in the church. I like what you brought, brother, this morning about walk, Jesus walking on water. Right? Like we go with confidence. And if you read the, the testimonies, the great cloud of witnesses, Right? If you lead, read missionary biographies of guys that have gone, the things that God did miraculously to save them, the, 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 the indigenous man was over um, John Payton with a knife, ready to kill him. And he, John Payton is laying there and he prays like, Lord, if this is my time, it's my time. Right? I trust you. But if it's not, would you save me? And I don't, I can't, I don't remember what happened, but the man turned away. Right? In that moment, the man turned away. Um, and over and over again throughout like missionary testimonies, like that's it. Like, and it is supernatural. God is powerful. He is able. And he does do amazing, amazing things in the world still. B.B. Um, Warfield, an old saint, said, Christianity is unembarrassed supernaturalism, right? In modernity, we, 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 we're, so we're shy about proclaiming the fact that like, our God is above and beyond. Like, you know, we want to we toe the line of being scientific, right? And there's truth in what God's created in the scientific world. And yet, does he move beyond it on our behalf all the time, right? Um, Ephesians 3.20 but now to him who is able to do far more than we can even imagine, right? So supernatural God, we've lost sight of that. Number five, the subtle influence of liberal theology in our churches. By liberal theology in this context, he's, he's talking about the notion of universalism and the notion of annihilationism, right? If we believe that the, the person that doesn't hear the gospel, right, has a chance of just being annihilated after death, the compulsion to take the good news to them diminishes significantly, right? And it is only in my coming to understand the sovereignty of God and the reality of the depth 
and depravity of man and the consequences of sin that has driven me to face this, this, this task. And I think that there's, that is a significant reason why that needle hasn't moved. We've lost sight of the good news in light of the bad news. We don't believe the bad news. And it's bad, right? But Jesus is good. And so the, the, the man that has not heard, right? I don't believe that it's normative by any means for them to be saved apart from hearing who Christ is, understanding who Christ was and will be, right? And professing that name, right? And the biblical text, the narrative, the whole picture of scripture is always a sent people. Jonah was sent, right? And he spoke by word. And that, and we won't go any further, right? But that's the normal way in which God is saving people. And um, donkeys, God spoke through a donkey. Yes, he can do it. But is that the normal means? Is that the commanded means by which he's called us to reach the nations? If that was true, then we would airlift donkeys, I've heard one man say. But we don't airlift donkeys, right? We send people. Okay? Um, so we need to soberly recognize the reality of the gospel, that it is amazingly great news, but it's in light of really, really bad news. So six was marginalizing of corporate prayer in church. Something that I love what you guys do. I really, really love that, right? You come together and you're together and you're all together praying, right? And you're praying for good things, so bless you in that. Um, and number seven was ignoring our unseen but powerful enemy, the devil, right? One of the ways the devil has infiltrated the church is that he has absorbed us into a multitude of good things and has left us off of completing the best of things, right? Ministry, 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 unto what, right? And so we can get busy, busy, busy and distracted. Um, I'll... I won't go through that list again, but if you'd like it, you can see me after those seven things. It's sobering, but I think it's real and we want to face it, right? Because we have stalled the compulsion of the church that God has a mission, that he has a bride. I've heard a brother say it like this and it was one of those things that just stuck my heart and, and convicted me that there are brothers and sisters out there that are waiting to hear the message, right? And we have the duty, but also the delight to get to go and preach this message to them and watch them come to faith. Um, it's when I see the video of, you know, the man that went and to, to, to a tribe and he labored there for 20 years and planted a church and then goes back 30 years after that, right? And these people were cannibals, right? They were always warring with each other. You know, you have polygamy, you have just, I mean, life terrible. Right? We have glorified the, um, the, the, the natives in our culture with different, different, different especially the media. Right? And there is a beauty to the people that live as one with the land, so to say. Right? Like, and that's, that exposes our materialism and our consumerism. And we need to face that and deal with it. Um, and yet, they're not in peace. Right? These peoples that are one with, with nature, they're not in peace even with nature because they are owned by nature. They're constantly seeking to appease 
Mother Nature, right? The spirits, the spirit in the rock, the spirit in the tree that has power over them and is seeking to, to, to consume them. So they're constantly seeking, it's, it's slavery, right? It's, it's absolute slavery. And so when you see this man that had planted this church in this tribe, he left them indigenous believers and he goes back 30 years and their faces are filled with the glory of Christ and joy because they're no longer eating each other, literally, you say, my goodness, this is good news. And it's powerful. And it's, it's awesome, right? So, um, oh boy, how much time do I have? Because I would love to take us back to Ephesians. Because again, for, for, for me, and I, and I think that anyone that has faced this task, and when I say this task of missions, yes, it is like the mission of the church, right? To be here and to go out, right? Um, and so as we are here and we're facing the trials that we face at home, and as we face the trials out, our only hope is in a God who is powerful, in a God who has a plan. And so Ephesians chapter 1 Verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I think you meditate on that alone for a long time. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished up upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, there's that Romans, right? You heard the gospel, right? And you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen? I'm going to make a, 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 just a few quick like, um, points about what I, I saw this text. And it is... Just a very, I mean, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is, is, I love it, right? It's just such a brief, and yet it's so packed full of just the truth of what his plan is and the truth of what we do in light of it, right? First half, his plan. Second half, just our, our responsibilities. But this first chapter, those first verses, it blew me away because we see that God has a plan. It's from him, and it's for sure. Right? There's nothing that can thwart it. In those verses, right, you look and you see, what has he done? And I, 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 you could probably pull out more, but these are the ones I, I saw, right? He chose. He predestined. He adopted. He's given redemption. 
He's forgiven our trespasses. He lavished grace upon us. He granted inheritance. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Right? This passage, it's all about him. Right? And how has he done it? So he's done those things. How has he done it? You see in there, quote, according to the purpose of his will. Right? And again, his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And then another time, according to his count, the counsel of his will. Right? His plan, his purpose, his will. His plan, his purpose, his will. He's doing it. Right? It's, it's, it's the truth is marching on. Why did he do it? To the praise of his glory. Because he's that good. And he's that glorious. You guys are working through Romans. And just to point us to... You've already made it past here, so I like that. In Romans, the first how many chapters of Romans is Ephesians. Same thing, but just expanded. Right? Paul's magnus opus. is This is how many chapters of just... This is God's plan. This is grace. This is salvation, right? And then he gets all the way to chapter 11, verse 33. It's the same thing of what he said in those, that last verse of Ephesians, to the praise of his glory. But Paul, after his magnus opus of Romans, he comes to realizing this story, this plan that is sure. And what does he say in verse 33? Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He's got a plan and we're part of it. We have the amazing grace to be part of it, right? In Ephesians, he goes on, chapter 2, and what were we? Dead. Dead in sin. Following the prince of the power of the air, right? And if we, went, if we were able to go far enough back in our, uh, our history, right? Our ancestors would be of some barbaric Right? Or some tribe that somebody had gone to at some point. Right? And so we want to just step back and see God's plan and see his grace towards sinners like us and how much he loves us that he would send his son, right? That the God of the universe would send his son into this dark world to bring light. And then give us the amazing privilege of carrying that, that same message and light forward. And I think that when we do that, we just can't help but be compelled to say, let's do it. Let's go. Right? In whatever capacity God has given you the grace and the gifting to do, right? We go. And so that's, our, uh, that's what I have for, for us. Um, let's pray again. Father God, we are too weak. We're too stubborn. We're too foolish. We're too proud. We need you. And so we look to you right now. Our one response in Ephesians chapter 1 was hope. We hope in you. And so would you uh, even just grant us now a greater hope in you, not in what we can do 
or what we have done, but in who you are, that you are amazingly gracious, that you have enabled by your spirit, through salvation, that, that we can gather together and overcome the darkness, that we can praise your glorious name, that we get to be a part of your story, and that we get to go and continue to take this good news to people who have not heard it. So would you help us to fix our eyes on you today? Enable us to love you more and more, even in response to what you have done and what you are doing. And in so doing, loving you, would you help us to love each other more? Would you give us the grace to pick up our cross today, to die to ourselves that we may lift up whoever it is that you have placed before us today? And oh Lord, would you do it for your namesake, your glorious name, the one name under which all of the families of earth have been named? So we praise you, and we love you, and we ask that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.